Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends. Where we found it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content, you can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who has a Baker Mayfield statue next to his toilet. Kyle Carpenter, Kyle, how are you? Uh, I, I'm good. And, and the, the nice thing about that is, you know, uh, Baker is is not a stranger being next to my toilet. Uh, he is he's full of uh, what goes in there. So now I'll leave that uh, leave that one to the imagination. Yeah, uh, the new OU statue should uh, should be nice in a in a bathroom. That that feels about fitting. I get why they're giving him the statue, but like. I'm just not a Baker Mayfield fan. I think he's just—he's such a jerk. Just, he's just, just an just, objectively yeah. a, an, a, an unlikable guy. Like I imagine, if he was a Texas guy, we would celebrate him, but it would be less. We've had much more likable guys where you can like you can root for him. You know, he's he's our our lovable little little grouch. But Baker's just just a, just an unlikable human. We'll just leave it at that, Kyle. I've I've got thoughts that are not safe for a podcast, but we're not here to take shots. At OU quarterbacks. We're talking about shots going over the wall. Texas baseball in action in Houston, putting up some home runs, putting up some numbers against some good teams. And we'll talk about that. Basketball had a less than successful end to the regular season, but they're set up for the Big 12 tournament. Uh, we'll obviously down the 40. A lot of stuff going on on the 40 acres as usual. We'll close the show out. Some burn orange lenses, some Godzilla Tron, and we'll bang the drum. So Texas went into Houston facing two of the best teams in the country and acquitted themselves really well against the two good, really good teams they faced. They went two and one at the Shriners Classic in Houston to remain number one, according to all of the major polls. Uh, they won both top 10 teams that they played they had Tennessee they beat seven to one on Friday they actually jumped to number 10 because they put the boots to a couple of people in that tournament it looked good doing it uh, and then they beat number seven LSU six to one on Saturday they struggled against UCLA we'll talk a little bit about why here in just a moment but Kyle overall for me as I think back to the way that Texas played in this tournament and just how dominant they looked against, let's be honest, the two best teams they faced all year and two of the better teams they're going to face until probably the NCAA tournament. Like Texas, we knew that this was going to be a test of how good they are. Are you finally buying the hype completely or are you still in a little bit of a cautious optimism? There, there, there is that feeling of like I'm just waiting for a letdown, and and I was at the game Sunday, so again, if it's my fault, I'll, I'll take fault. full blame. Can't go to um, another game all year, and that makes sense. But uh, I, I don't. I mean, I said going in two and one is is uh, you know a good weekend if they can if they can get it um, three and zero. Oh, let's get the hype train rolling. So I guess I have to pause the hype train ever so slightly. But they're still number one in the country. They they improved to five and zero oh in their future baseball conference. Five and zero oh against the SEC. Um, it, a good Alabama team and a really, really good Tennessee and LSU team who, again, all three of those teams. And there's, I mean, UCLA 
had a lot of talent to replace from previous years um, and, and wasn't sure what this team would be. And I think they'll take a little while to figure it out, but at their best, and they did look good on Sunday, they could be a team that, you know, does something funky in the pac 12 and uh, finds their way to Omaha as well, you know? So it was a, it was a good team. Um, you know, like I said, I think the, the focus is on the two big marquee games against the two big opponents where Texas had their preferred kind of starter. And in, in those games where the, the rotation was normal, the lineup was, was kind of your normal, uh, one through nine and, and, uh, a little more traditional. Um, I think Texas played about as well as you could have hoped, gave up two, uh, two earned runs and two games against really, really good hitting teams. Um, the pitching looked great and they were able to get the bats going. I think that was the bigger test of what we were wondering is against the best pitching they had seen up to this point, how would the bats go? And again, seven runs against Tennessee and six against LSU. Um, tells me that the, the the bats were working in a professional ballpark. They took advantage of Crawford boxes being a short left field and put some balls out there. Um, you know, they there was a couple balls hit across the three games that if they weren't in an MLB ballpark would have been out in other parts of the stadium. So I thought the bats um, looked pretty good all in all, and they got them going again in in batches, which is what I like to see. Right, you you um, can string nine. 10 hits across a game and not put anyone really across, not do danger if you're, if you're spreading those out, you know? So, um, if you can, you can manufacture runs with patience, which they did look like they were, they were at the plate. They were very patient. They, you know, didn't just come out and jump on first pitches all the time. That's with, with good pitching staffs. You need that. You need guys to draw walks, to work up pitch counts, those types of things, um, get out the starters and get into the bullpen. Most teams don't have the luxury that Texas does back there. And I thought they did all those things. So this, the, especially Friday and Saturday felt like both opponent previews and also Texas previews for how Omaha might look. The that was one of the big takeaways from the weekend for me is just how well Texas stood in the box and played. And that sounds dumb, but like there were some long at bats and some battles and some multiple high pitch count hits and, and RBI actually that um, Texas came up with and it's you know Augie Garrido smiling down seeing guys hitting two out RBIs that's just that that would have made the old coach smile but I think that to me is one of the big things and again especially against a team like Tennessee that was second to Texas in the country and one of two teams with a lower than one ERA in the year going into this weekend they put up big numbers and again Tennessee is one of the best pitching staffs after Texas, it was probably Texas and Tennessee. Now that we're looking at it, one and two. And on the flip side of that, LSU, they hadn't played competition at this level, but LSU was putting up 20 runs in games. They're putting up 15 runs in games to hold them to just one is absolutely incredible from that starting pitching staff. And I think you kind of alluded to the other thing, and it's more of a negative, but the Texas starters looked really good. The Texas starters did what they were supposed to, came out and did it, but once you got past the top three guys, really, because we'll talk about on Sunday, I mean, Tanner Witt was a, was a precautionary scratch, and we'll talk about it a little bit more, but Texas kind of had to piecemeal a little bit of a, a pitching effort together, and it didn't really go well. You had Lucas Gordon on, on the bump to, to kick it off. Uh, that moved Ardwan to, to designated hitter, and then Kimball Schusler uh, got the start at catcher, and so it, it was not a great outing for kind of the cobbled together pitching staff, and that's kind of to be expected. But you know, Gordon gave up one earned run, came came out tied, and then LeBaron Johnson, a guy that I was excited about in name only, uh, got absolutely shelled. Uh, recorded one out, gave up two runs for his trouble. Ace Whitehead came in and looked honestly just as bad. Um, 
Got two outs, though, but gave up three hits and one earned run. Then Daniel Blair came in to close it out for him. And, and again, we knew Texas was, I don't, I don't want to say top-heavy on the pitching staff, but um, going into the year, we knew Texas starters were good, and we knew the closer was really good. And I think I, we still had some, not questions, but we still thought that the middle setup pieces had some questions to answer. And I think there's um, we see that there may still be some questions for the setup guys and for the, the middle relief as Texas hopefully has Tanner Witt back for, for this weekend series. Yeah, I, 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 the one thing I'll say is in the Sunday game, I'm not saying Coach Pierce wanted to win to get the undefeated streak off the back, but it, it may have been the, the, the point when Witt wasn't pitching, giving a young guy who I respect any player who does this, but Kimball Schusler transferred from a and um, hadn't really started, I don't think. Uh, that's pretty much been Silas's spot. Uh, since he took it, but uh, gave him the start, you know, let Silas hit, but, but rest those knees a little bit at DH. Um, So you have, you know, some, some younger pitchers with a young catcher, you know, you're going to see a little bit of that. Right. Um, I I thought it was okay. Honestly, Uh, Gordon's, you know, four innings were solid. He's, he's a midweek guy who has potential to be a weekend guy in the future. I think um, there's some stuff certainly for him to learn from, especially, you know, after his first two innings, which were great. Um, LeBaron Johnson is a guy who this staff likes and he's an upside guy. He's not going to be one of your first guys in Omaha who are coming out, but if you can get an inning here or there, he can be a power pitcher. He can do some things. Um, Ace Whitehead. I actually talked to Ace's family uh, on Sunday and uh, his dad was incredibly nervous. Uh, he said because you know they recruited Ace both ways, but he wasn't sure if he was going to get to pitch in college. And in the fall, Pierce let him try some, and and you know you saw him run from the dugout out to the bullpen. Right, he is first a position player. He's played uh, as a pinch runner and, and a little bit in the field um, for Texas so far this season. But he was his first collegiate outing as a pitcher. Um, his dad did think he's got a better upside as a as a pitcher, but he just has such incredible speed that I think that's why uh, he's a great outfielder as well. But just a true a true athlete. But he had a rough going again. A, a true freshman kid and and you don't see a ton of those but a true freshman kid getting getting some run there and in some key moments and had a had a tough one don't think it'll be the last we'll see of him especially generally but even on the the pitching mound but i don't know that you're LeBaron Johnson, Ace Whitehead, and then Daniel Blair, who a player, I admittedly, as much as I cover and, and think and look at this team and this roster, and if you go back and listen to our preview, I didn't even mention. I, I, I had forgotten about this guy, the transfer from Winthrop, a guy who was not very good last year at Winthrop, but clearly um, Allen and Pierce saw something in him that they liked. He has some swing and miss stuff, but uh, has some consistency issues. So Daniel Blair coming in and being the third pitcher out there kind of tells you that they treated UCLA as a you know, keep the powder dry, but let's see. Let's give some run to the guys. You may have seen, you know, at least two of the three last guys in the bullpen. So I don't know if we have to extrapolate too, too much. I am a little bit more concerned when looking at the bullpen with, uh, you know, you, you you think, obviously, we know Nixon, we know Duplantier. Outside of there, South Hart has been a guy, and in Tennessee, he only faced two uh, batters, hits one, walks one, you know, and so we really want to see Jared South Hart be a part of, of, of this rotation. Uh, Travis uh, Staley has been uh, kind of the go-to long reliever uh, up to this point, um, and he got just, I think, uh, two outs uh, in, in that Friday night game as well. So, you know, a little bit of questions about the guys you are going to see uh, a little bit more. Uh, I do think um, Dre Duplante is still, uh, still, no matter you know how long he goes, he is still going to be um, – 
a huge part of this. And then Luke Harrison, a guy who's really inserted his name. He did well. So a mixed bag a little bit across the weekend from the relievers, but I think that's okay. I think it's okay to learn some things. If you can get out of there with two wins, still learn some things about some guys further down your roster. I don't think, you know, when we said this was an Omaha-like atmosphere, we really expected not to see, you know, or expected to see anyone other than just the marquee guys, both at the plate and, uh, you know, um, in, in on, on the mound. So um, I'll take that as a win. Uh, it was fun to kind of be there Sunday to see what I think is a little bit of a, a developmental game of some midweek guys playing uh, on a weekend. We're not saying that Coach Pierce tanked the game or whatever, right? But we are saying that no. Texas wanted to see what they had and if they could come away with the win with this group. And they acquitted themselves really well against some Omaha teams, uh, some teams that'll go to the that'll make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. So I think there there's a lot to be said about Texas trying to figure some stuff out early in the season, especially because the Big 12 it's going to be a gauntlet. It always is, and, and that's just how the Big 12 – in every sport, the Big 12 is a gauntlet. Baseball is not uh, any different. So I think Texas trying to figure out and get some answers to those questions when they've got some margin, when I think they've, again, proven what they need to prove in that tournament um, – if you don't need to start with and you've got questions, then then let them sit, and that's fine. Yeah, Pierce called it precautionary, and I had a lot of people text me about this. The reporting and what Pierce himself said was that it was, you know, it's it's precautionary. I guess basically since his last start, he's been nursing his arm a little bit. I believe it's a muscular issue above the elbow, but they think he, he's fine. And again, if those were switched and it was uh, the Sunday game was against Tennessee or LSU. I think there is a chance, my speculation here, um, that he may have still been pitching. So when, we'll see when we get around uh, to next weekend series if, if he's ready to go on, on Sunday, if this was you know truly nothing to be concerned with and just precautionary. But uh, he said he was just – he's getting treatment. He's tender, but it's nothing they're long-term concerned with. Um, it, he uh, he had – you know, good pain tolerance, but was under a hundred percent. So, um, no need to risk it. And again, I think I wonder if, if wit pitches, if Pierce still goes that route, right? If they say let's lean all the way in, or that changed kind of the entire thinking. You put Silas behind the plate, like, some of those things. So, um, I, I do agree, though, Gerald. I, I want to say I saw the Melendez um, home run, and I I think it's uh, Sunday, and I think it went uh, is high on that moonshot and as far over the train tracks as any Astros home run I've ever seen in that stadium. If not, if not more, right? Like it, it, it unfortunately for Astros fans conjured up Albert Pujols and some of those <laughs> memorable home it. runs. I wasn't going to be the one to say it. You said <laughs> um, it, not me. But it was a blast. Um, so, and there was a lot of shots. Faltini had a, a, a line drive rip that uh, was caught at the wall in center. Like there was a lot of hits that, if you if you just aimed him towards the Crawford box, could have been three or four more home runs. Even for UCLA, who who admittedly impressed me, their batters. I, I had a. I'll just say this, and my, my last thing about that game. I had a seat, you know, about five rows back, and and this is the true art of of a fan. If you sit directly behind the umpire and catcher, your view's a little blocked. You go one section over, uh, and about five rows back. I think I was just off where the camera cut off, from what I heard. Uh, but uh, you can really see the pitches, the movement, the placement. The calls. I think there was a couple questionable calls from the umpire. One that Pierce and Tulowitzki both gave him an earful about. Um, but uh, the the UCLA pitchers were painting the corners, and uh, actually, I mean, look, their starter looked great. Uh, maybe the best uh, Tennessee as well, but the, the, you know, the second best pitcher they saw all weekend. So, um, so yeah, I, I, th- I thought UCLA looked like a better team, and, and again, Texas. Uh, threw some stuff at the wall to see what sticks. So interesting game Sunday, but overall an incredibly optimistic feeling. 
just like we all hoped, coming out of there 2-1. and one, It just wasn't the 2-1 and one maybe we necessarily thought after we won the first two. Everyone kind of assumed 3-0. and oh, But great, great, great weekend for the Horns. So up next, they've got a midweek series against Texas State who just took the weekend series against Arizona. That was a big yeah. win yeah. for them. That's Arizona's first home series loss in, what, three seasons now? And then yeah. they're taking a long trip to South Carolina. You put a weekend trip in the uh, show notes, but they're staying all the way through spring break, Kyle, because they've got uh, South Carolina over the weekend. And then they're actually staying in uh, to for the midweek series to take on College of Charleston and the Citadel. And they'll probably hit, I don't know, Myrtle Beach or something in the midst there as well. Charleston Hilton had get it all. Uh, maybe, maybe the I don't know. Do the women's golf team stay after the Darius Rucker do a two week spring break there, or do they leave uh, an itinerary for the baseball team? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but that's that's awesome. I'm I did not know that. Uh, thank you for correcting me and updating me. That sounds fun. But what doesn't sound fun is that Texas State game. If they are treating that like a pure midweek game, they they are a scary team this year. They also swept Ohio State uh, earlier this year. They're a really good team. Um, so that'll be a fun one. Uh, uh, for the midweek in Central Texas. Taking it to the hardwood, number 20 men's basketball after losing a not-so-close one to Baylor, took Kansas to overtime in fog, nearly upset them on uh, senior day, but the free-throw disparity got the best of them and fell to the Jayhawks in the regular season finale, 70-63. to 60. Three. There are a couple of different stories we can talk about in this game, Kyle, but the big one, in at least in my estimation, is that uh, in the second half in overtime, Texas was 9 of 34. You miss 25 shots. If just a couple of those go in, potentially Texas is looking at a different outcome. Now, um, the other crazy thing about that to me is that Texas took seven more field goal attempts than Kansas in overtime. And they still managed to lose and end up, and it was closer before the they played the um, try to extend the game and, and make them hit free throws. But Texas had a lot of chances to win this game, both in regulation and in overtime, and just could not put the ball in the stinking basket. And that is frustrating to watch, and I'm sure it's frustrating for the players as well. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of things in this, right? I, I think I think Courtney Ramey deserves. A lot of credit. There's been this was not the first game. There's been multiple games this season where he's, um, you know, been the central point of our offense. There's been games where he couldn't hit a shot. It was very glaringly obvious. Like if he was apex Courtney Ramey in a couple more games, that we would have won those games. And it's kind of interesting that it's, it becomes so glaring. And it almost feels like what we finally learned at the end of the year is this team, not just the offense, will go kind of as far as Courtney Ramey goes. So if it's an off night for Ramey, you really are going to have to compensate with someone else stepping up. Um, I mean, it feels honestly like there's a dozen games where the offense is stale and it's like, man, glad Ramey's hitting shots today. Man, man, he's hitting step back long twos. Man, he's nailing open threes. And and on those games, uh, you know, Texas offenses look good. And I think that's what honestly kept them in this one. And in addition to his defense, right? Like it, it just came out. Uh, I believe right after this game, but um, Abaji was unanimous conference player of the year, right? Like there are some discussions where he's in the conversation for the NCAA, you know, player of the year award, right? He is, he is uh, likely a first team all American. I mean, he is a very, very good player. If you only watch Kansas when they play Texas, you, you may not realize quite what the hype is about. And and again, that just goes to show in both of those games, Courtney Ramey was the guy who, who shut him down. Um, and, you know, they, they probably lose each of these games by 
by a you know an easy double digits if if that's not the case if he gets his usual production so um give some ups to to my guy Courtney Ramey um you know and, and look it's Kansas is a tough matchup for Texas I know we went one and one and and it's a world where a couple balls bounce differently and they could have gone two and zero again this year um but David Cormack uh just he looks good um <laughs> You know, he, 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 he's strong. He's a problem for Texas. He's the exact type of big who I fear in the tournament. Just, um, you know, he, he can post up and, and, and get to the line and grab rebounds. I think they said he's grabs one out of every three when he's on the court. Like he just is a, is a problem for teams and Texas is going to play small in this tournament by default, you know, by the fact of how the roster is built and who's available. Um, and so uh, that does worry me just a little bit because there is a blueprint there. Um, but again, I don't think there's a lot of David McCormack's in the country. So that, that should be some solace uh, for folks, but you know, look, they, they got fourth place in the conference. They, they locked into, you know, fourth place in the tournament before this game. Um, but I, I think this actually, I left this game, I don't believe in moral victories, Gerald, and that's because I believe the term is, is corrupted. It should be morale victories. There's no such thing <laughs> as a victory which is which is right or just or moral, right? That is, we're all wrong. We should change our word. It's a morale victory. And this was a morale victory, I think, for Texas um, because they went into Allen on senior night. I think it was something like 20-some-odd years before it, since a team has won on senior night there. This was a team loaded with seniors, in fact, uh, the Kansas team. And uh, they they took every shot. They took every shot from the refs from Kansas. They, they did what they needed to do to look like a team. And they, they walked out, you know, saying that that felt like a March madness game. We're playing in March, March basketball, uh, just hoping they can finish on the right side in the future. And, and there are some things that they still need to work on. We're now in the postseason, and we're saying that. So that is, you know, that is the room for concern, but uh, you know, I, I, I take a little bit of heads up on this one, uh, a little bit of solace. I'm just upset that Kansas sophomores finally know what it's like to beat Texas at basketball. That's really my biggest gripe <laughs> from it. But the the thing that really jumped out to me is like when, when it looked like when Marcus Carr fouled out, the offense just didn't know what to do. Like yeah. if Carr's not in the game, it seems like the offensive identity disappears if Texas even has one of those. But like, and it's frustrating because there were players like Andrew Jones played pretty well. Courtney Ramey obviously played really well offensively and defensively. Um, but like, the fact that they like it seemed like the offense dried up when he fouled out. Texas missed fourteen of its last fifteen shots, uh, and Marcus Carr coincidentally fouled out with three minutes left in the game. It's just not a good look for Texas to still not have that next guy, that somebody else that can make things happen. Now, obviously, if it's your point guard, there's something to be said about that leadership on the floor. But there, there, Timmy Allen should be a guy who can hopefully create something, especially against Kansas. He had a decent game the last time, but like Andrew Jones missed six three pointers, and if one or two of those go in, it's a different game. And, and like you said, Texas again play. They had a. It was a good outing. Nobody really expected Texas to be in this game other than Texas fans. The lead changed 16 times in the in the basketball games. There's a lot that, that went well for Texas, but it's still hard for me, especially as a someone who followed the Shaka Smart Texas Longhorns through the up and the down, ups and the downs, it's hard for me to see anything positive in losing a winnable game, regardless of whether or not it was a it was a morale victory or a moral victory or, you know, a, a 
whatever you want to call it, lost the war but won the battle kind of situation. I'm tired of watching Texas sports, period, regardless of the, <laughs> the team, lose winnable games. And that was what it felt like to me um, because Texas absolutely had a shot to win this game, and they just couldn't. I thought you were going to say you're just tired of watching Texas sports, period, which I get. I understand. <laughs> we we watch a lot of Texas to cover this team, and uh, while there are some great highs, it can be exhausting at times with certain sports. But, um, no, that I completely agree with you, Gerald, and that's what I alluded to when I said there, there are still some questions. I think um, it, it'll be interesting as we look ahead. You know, they're, they're locked into that four seed. They're taking on TCU. TCU is hot and utterly fearless, and Texas has beaten them twice, uh, but they've, you know, TCU – it's a tough draw in this money. tournament. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a tough draw. There's no doubt about it. Um, so it is a recipe for Texas could it make it a three game losing streak heading into the the you know tournament and that could play uh, into their seeding. But I think it's likely they're 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 likely a five seed, maybe a six seed. I really don't see them being seven or eight. I, I don't anymore see them getting a four. If they could have won one of these uh, this week, maybe. Uh, but I, I feel like five is is the is the number. Um, six. Wouldn't surprise me. It just depends on what happens with people around them. Uh, but anyway, so uh, there are still some questions. There are guys who have looked like they could answer some of those questions on in one game and then not the other. So getting the, the, the consistency uh, in the next few days uh, will be important. Uh, but I think at this point we know what this team is, right? They're, they're experienced, which helps, right? We're going into March. They have a lot of uh, experience and, and career minutes uh, on this lineup, and they, they're going to be teams that are stifled by the, the, the Texas defense when they play teams out of the Big 12 who haven't played defenses like we have in the Big 12. Um, and so I think that will help them, right? It's the Vic Schaefer formula uh, about, you know, strangling them and teams maybe haven't seen that. Um, and again, it just takes one shooter one night getting hot and Texas being able to hit some open shots uh, and, and the offense can look a little bit different. And, you know, so so while I'm not optimistic, optimi- excuse me, optimistic of a... Right of a, a a final four or an elite eight or something like that. I I am optimistic that the right matchup. This team has the experience, the the especially at the guard position. They have the guys dribbling the ball, have tons of experience, tons of know how, and have hit some big shots in their career. Um, and so that translates well, right? Experience guard play. Um, and I wrote about this in my preview last year, and I really thought last year's team. I felt differently heading into March. I thought had legitimate chance because of that again with with Coleman and, and Ramey and Jones but now you replace Coleman for Carr um, and you still have a bunch of uh, senior leadership uh, at the guard position and, and senior guards experienced guards play well you know take teams deep in March I, I love a big man but uh, give me two or three really experienced guys handling the ball 80% of the time uh, in March and and I feel good about that so we'll see we'll see what this Texas team of veterans can do so we'll see a little bit more about that on Thursday. Texas kicks off the Big 12 tournament with TCU. They actually got a, a pretty favorable draw. I think the teams that they um, the teams that they played better against and fared better against in the conference um, are on that side of the. Uh, they're dodging Baylor until the last, until potentially the last uh, game of the tournament if they make it that far. But TCU on Thursday, then they'll play the winner of Kansas and. Kansas is going to play the winner of the play-in game, Kansas State, West Virginia. So still a lot of questions, but Texas will be back on the court this Thursday in the Big 12 tournament. So that's part of the show where we try to quickly whip around all the other incredible things happening on campus, and we down the 40. Texas women's basketball up 
to number seven on the year. They just got a uh, updated rankings bump, uh, but went two and zero on the week, beating Kansas and Oklahoma State sixty to fifty on Senior Day over those pokes. The seventy to sixty went over the uh, over Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse. Um, that was a that was a payback game. That was a payback game for Texas. Um, where trailing actually managed to put together a comeback there, and then Oklahoma State was kind of a wire to wire situation. Texas uh, packed the house for the last ever regular season basketball game at the Irwin Center. Twelve thousand five hundred and six fans in attendance. That. Got a lot of money donated to the Neighborhood Longhorns Foundation. Uh, started with Vic Schaefer's 10, 10K for 10, 10K for 10K pledge, and, and a lot of people joined in. $120,000 donated through various folks. Thanks for packing the Irwin Center. Yeah, if you're listening to this podcast and you're one of those people who are there, my uh, my golf clap, I'm not going to do it into the microphone because that'd be tough audio, but uh, uh goes your way. I appreciate all of you, as Coach Schaefer said in his press conference. You could tell he was just emotional about it, right? I mean, Vic put out the, the, the call to action. He said they deserve better. And on senior night, you know, they, they did something about it, put literally their money where their mouth is, and fans showed up. And so thank you to the fans and, and just awesome, right? That's that's the type of way to finish out a career for a couple seniors who are pretty integral to this team. We'll see. They all have a COVID year, so there is a chance that uh, any of those three could come back in, in Joanne Allen, Taylor, Audrey Warren, and Lauren Ebo. And the thing I love is, is Joanne Allen, Taylor against Kansas, had a season-high 20 points and five steals and the leading score with a career-high uh, at home. And the last game was Lauren Ebo with 17 points, uh, career-high and six rebounds. So I love that the seniors were uh, taking this last week to, if this is the, the end, to, to go. But uh, the, the, they deserved a, 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 you know, a send-out. Out like this, but I will say, you may not get one dollar, uh, one dollar beers, one dollar hot dogs, baby races, and hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line for the NCAA tournament. But it looks like Texas, with their, I believe, I think it's twelve or thirteen Q one Q two wins. I think they have nine Q one wins um, in the season. I mean, they are likely in net. They are looking like a number two seed right now. So it's very likely, depending how the the tournament goes, that they could be a, a two seed in the women's March. Excuse me, in March Madness. Um, and so I, I, you know, I, that says that they could be hosting, which is likely. So this may not be the last game in Irwin. So folks get back out and do it again. You know, uh, the women's basketball team is fun. I think the, the, the wire to wire lead in this one, the 23 to nine advantage in the opener and 40 to 20 and a half. I think that is because you, that team had, you know, was supercharged by the fans, by the Irwin center. So, uh, love to see that, uh, was a great, Great week, honestly. Both of these games were fantastic. Uh, and, and yeah, I think women's basketball is, what is it, an eight-game win streak now? Is one of the hottest teams in the country heading into the Big 12 tournament and heading into the NCAA tournament. And if you remember, when a Vic team gets hot, uh, a Cinderella run last year, it is uh, his style of play with a team that's clicking at the end. This is the Vic Schaefer formula, and uh, good things could happen here. So this is this is an exciting team. They The, the, the inverse, it's funny. The, the men's basketball team preseason top five women's basketball team came in at 25. They've basically flipped uh, the expectations with a senior team on the men's side with a lot of experience, although not at Texas, and a, a team that's at least a year ahead of schedule in this women's team. But uh, I like what Vic Schaefer uh, has going here. And, and again, this is just a good, good, good team. Rory Harmon, one of the most, maybe the most fun basketball player to watch 
on on the 40 acres men's women's uh regardless so uh excited to see how far this team can go there's no glass slippers this year like last year they overachieved this year the expectation is a run and I hesitate to say that, but they legitimately look like one of the top eight teams in the country right now. So I think an Elite Eight run feels like a fair expectation. And granted, after the season, it's hard to be disappointed by anything. But I think it's I think Coach Schaefer and the ladies on this team will be disappointed if they don't make a deep run. And I think that's fair of them to expect that from themselves. So next up for Texas, uh, they secured the three spot in the Big 12 tournament. They're going to take a first round uh, bye, get that off game before taking on Kansas State, a relatively favorable draw for the ladies in uh, the Big 12 tournament, which is nice. Yeah, combined 10-0 and on their side of the bracket, which is incredible. Or excuse me, 8-0. They were 8-0 on their half of the bracket and 3-5 and and on the other half. So all the teams that they played really well, including Iowa State, the, the two seed, uh, are on their half of the bracket. So it sets up really well for like a Baylor potential matchup uh, in that final on the women's side. Um, but yeah, they, they should... Uh, as hot as they are right now, have a good chance to to go out and do what the men did last year and win the uh, the Big 12 uh, tournament or at least be right there playing for it before, again, heading to the big dance. Moving outside, number five women's tennis sweeps. Number 32, UCF with a four-love result. One, the doubles points there, and then they were actually leading every match that went unfinished, so it was absolute just domination. And they played it at the USTA National Campus, which is hopefully a good sign for things to come. We maybe won't have to update our Twitter header if they just win another national championship. But uh, next up for them, they open Big 12 play against number 34, Texas Tech on Friday. The soccer team back on the pitch. Glad to see it open their spring calendar. A little shorthanded with a 3-0 win at Texas State. Uh, Jilly Shimkin scored two goals at 35 and 80 second minutes respectively and Cindy, Cindy Nobles put one in at 15 as well. Putting up Texas. Again, big numbers for the Longhorns without three of their top players on the squad. Yeah, Lexi uh, Massimo, Trinity Byers, and Holly Ward are all still playing in the CONCACAF U-20 Women's Championship. They'll be in the quarterfinal there. Holly Ward, of course, for Canada, the other two for Team USA. But uh, Jilly Simkin in her first match as a Longhorn. Uh, she's the transfer from Penn State who was in that same class with uh, Lexi and Trinity um, who were the numbers one and two. She's the number seven player in that class. So just a, a spoil of, of riches um, in, in adding her. And she, she showed out. Uh, she had... Uh, her first two collegiate goals were in her first Longhorn game. So I don't know what Penn State was using her uh, for last year, but uh, looks like another dangerous piece uh, uh, under this this team, especially when they get all three of those back. I believe the remainder of the spring schedule for the women's, uh, for the soccer team, is to be announced uh, at a coming date. Still TBD. I think Texas is better than T. Texas track and field is sending 26 participants to the NCAA Indoor Championships this weekend in Birmingham, Alabama. The women have the second most entries with 16 heading to the championship, just one behind Arkansas. The men are sending 10 behind Arkansas and Texas Tech. Keeping it in the national stage, the men and the women's swimming and diving teams are currently, as we're talking, competing in the NCAA uh, qualifiers. We'll have more updates for that next week to see who is going to compete for championships in a few weeks. All right, Gerald. Now let's take a look at the world through some burnt orange lenses. News from basketball, we mentioned uh, slightly. On the all-Big 12 teams, five Longhorns were represented. 
Timmy Allen on the second team, also on the newcomer team, the five-man team there. Marcus Carr made all Big 12 third team, and Courtney Ramey, Andrew Jones, Christian Bishop were honorable mention. The only thing that I really had to complain about there was we mentioned Courtney Ramey's defense. He was a snub, in my opinion, from the all-defensive team. Now, there's good defense in the Big 12. There's some really good players on that team. Three of them I I couldn't argue with – I'm not going to call out anyone specifically, but I feel like <laughs> if Ramey was sixth, I think he could have been subbed for somebody uh, as as the, the top five on that all. The fact that Ramey did not get the all-defensive team, especially, again, after blocking down the best player in the conference, I was going to say it, like that seems uh, seems a little ridiculous, but that's, that's just – and that's not even biased. Like I think if you ask anybody, hey, somebody held this guy to one of 11 from the floor at Fog – do you think he should make the all defense team? But it's fine. Right. It, it, it's fine. It's fine. I'm just I'm I'm salty. And yeah, and I think if you ask someone a neutral, they might talk about a Kinjo from Baylor who's really good on both ends of the floor when he made the team. And uh I think, you know, Ramey's probably the other guard right now they talk about defensively in the Big Twelve, but that's okay. I'm not I'm not salty. We want to talk about things Longhorns did win though, and our boy, good friend of the podcast, Scotty Scheffler. It's his second victory in his last three starts on the PGA Tour, winning the Arnold Palmer Classic. Uh, also his second career win uh, on tour. So he's he's started hot and looking like he's not going anywhere soon. I mean, he was that two? I think it's that's two in a row for him, which is uh, or two in the last three for him. So like he's playing really really good golf, um, and it was a tough it was a tough tough outing for him but again it's always good to see longhorns um playing well regardless of the level yeah ut's 93rd all-time uh pga tour win by an alum uh this win takes him you're right gerald that it was tough i think there was uh, multiple guys with over 80 on the final round which is after the cut you know that's it was a tough course playing really tough especially on sunday and scotty just battled through it raises him to number five in the world ranking so uh again a guy doing some big things another guy doing big things or doing um fast things it's josh thompson with the laser time of 443 at the nfl combine i believe uh he and he and deshaun jameson once had a a uh, twitter spat about who was the fastest player on the team each obviously backing uh themselves this was pre xavier worthy arriving i would love the longhorn network to just have a uh a a, a flat out race uh by these uh these absolute speed demons uh, and we have a couple brendan thompson some others coming to join the mix uh jaden alexis but 443 laser timed where it matters at the combine good showing for josh thompson i was getting ready to say like if jaden alexis and brendan thompson who ran a 10 to 200 that if you can that videos on our twitter that's the most unfair race i've seen in probably <laughs> uh since me racing my top my, my five-year-old i actually have to try now but it, it is what it is um yeah, it's just absolutely <laughs> insane to, to think about being that fast and so we'll continue to see texas recruit fast people another uh, guy who coached some fast people former ut wide receiver coach rashad samples uh sounds like he's going to be hired by the LA Rams to be running back coach. He left uh, Texas to go to SMU where he was the recruiting coordinator, the running back coach, and eventually got an A uh, HC assistant head coach title. And then he, he ultimately pulled what I'm going to call a Kingsbury, taking a new college job from his old one, uh, TCU in this case, but then heading the NFL before actually coaching uh, a single down. Um, Gerald, what do you, what do you think about samples to the NFL? 
I mean, I'm glad Texas doesn't have to recruit against him down I-35. I think I have thoughts about, and, and this was not materializing before signing day, but I think it's just another example of why players need a little bit more agency when it comes to recruiting and signing. I think letters of intent should have a clause if the guy that was my primary recruiter leaves before my first season playing, I should be able to get out of it. But again, that's a longer conversation for another day. But I think Samples is an incredible coach and obviously uh, a fast riser. I think if um, if TCU doesn't just promote Carrington to the on-field role that he has wanted, it's the reason why he went out to USC, then I think they're probably fumbling the bag, something fierce. But uh, again, I'm fine with them fumbling the bag because Texas has to recruit against him. Absolutely. Good luck, Samples. Never come back to the college ranks unless it's with Texas. I uh, don't want to recruit against him anymore. Another player who uh, caused fumbles, got fumbles, um, and is near and dear to Gerald's heart is in the news. Rod Wright leaving his co-DC role at University of Texas San Antonio to be named to, and who isn't at this point, uh, Mario Cristobal's Miami staff, which again is a who's who of, of recruiters, great coaches, and, and names. He's done some good work there. But Gerald, how excited were you to see uh, Rod Wright uh, in the in the news, getting, getting big-time college football jobs? I mean, I will forever and can forever lobby for Rod Wright to come back to Texas. I think but if, if Bo Davis wasn't the guy for Steve Sarkeesian, I would have wanted him to hire Rod Wright. I think not just because he is um, a Texas, I mean, he's a really good um, defensive line coach, but I, I'm glad to see him. I think it's, uh, I'm not excited for Miami to continue to recruit well, and I think he's a great recruiter as well. So uh, big ups to him. Again, he's one of my all-time faves. Love that. Um, broken via... The internet, it looked like her post on the Instagram was the the first announcement of this, but following Jenna Gabriel's retirement from volleyball, Texas volleyball appears to likely have the, the replacement. Um, Jenna Ewart, who uh, spent the last few seasons at Colorado, um, posted on her Instagram that she's coming to Texas. So it, she's someone who's known to put up double-doubles and assists and digs and uh, it will probably come in and either start immediately or split time. She'll be competing effectively with Sage... Uh, Ka'ana Ana Torres uh, for the starting role there. So uh, another another piece for Coach Elliott uh, and uh, replacing Jenna Gabriel on the court. She's an outsized figure both on and off, but uh, at least on the court uh, got a really good one there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to see her leave, but I think Texas um, Texas is kind of at the point as a volleyball program where they don't like rebuild, they reload, and I think this is just another prime example of that. Keeping it volleyball. On the hardwood or on the 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 parkade court, uh, former Texas volleyball star Haley Ackerman, I know a favorite of Gerald's, was named the head coach at Kent State. Gerald, an all-time Longhorn, I think someone who came up in our uh, our volleyball Mount Rushmore. You excited for your girl Haley Ackerman? Freshman of the year, national player of the year on a national championship team, like absolutely, she should be a fan favorite. But uh, she's stepping into a bit of a tough situation at Kent State. I think they've had um, two winning seasons since 2015, and one of those was an AM winning season because it was that weird COVID year that was spanned two. That's again, that's the only reason why AM was good two years ago. It's fine, it is what it is. But uh, yeah, so I think it's good to see her. She's well earned. People that know her personally are very excited for her, and so that means that I think it's a good thing. I love that. Uh, excited for Longhorns to continue coaching all over the country in all kinds of sports. And uh, what starts here changes the, the world. Uh, Gerald, let's take it now to the Godzilla Tron. What have you been watching on your giant screen? Uh, so it's been a, been a bit of a journey for the Goodridges. We, my wife is, is into the show called Love Life on HBO. If you haven't watched it, it's kind of a, a character study of somebody 
in their like kind of the late twenties, early thirties, uh, going through a series of breakups and and hookups and just bad, bad and awkward situations. I didn't watch season one. She watched season one when she was out on maternity leave. Uh, but season two, uh, she wanted to watch and she thought I would enjoy it. And so we sat down and watched it. And she she thought I would enjoy it because uh, the lead in Love Life season two. Uh, if you're a fan of Good Place, the lead is Chidi from oh. <laughs> from The Good Place. And so uh, we watched it. It was really awkward and uncomfortable. And, and honestly, if you're not somebody that is okay with a little R-rated content, then just skip this one. But um, my, it was funny and it was endearing. And I think the thing I appreciated about it is it was it was something that we see a lot with with you know people and and people in our age bracket where they haven't quite grown up and they're still trying to they're trying to figure out why their romantic relationships aren't working. It's because well you're the problem. And so watching somebody realize that and work through it um, was really interesting. They did um, kind of a, a they did a whole episode about everything that happened in 2020 with COVID and all the social unrest and it it was one of the better episodes covering that type of material that I've seen in anything. It was really well written, really well really well acted. It was kind of just one person in a room for 35 minutes, and so it was really good. Um, that was fun. We polished that off. It ended really well. Um, I've been watching the Nolan Batman movies just because Batman's on the in the zeitgeist. And, and catch me on Twitter when you talk about this, but like the Nolan Batman movies are good. Christian Bale's not a good Batman. He's a great Bruce Wayne. Best Bruce Wayne, not a great Batman. Have a longer conversation about that. Uh, and then we needed kind of a, a, a decompressed show. And so this sounds like I'm cussing, uh, but Shits Creek, S-C-H-I-T-T-S <laughs> Creek. It's a it's about a... a, a, a um, it's kind of like a, a almost a, an arrested development type show, not quite, but it's it's a, a family that doesn't quite get how regular people work. Um, they're very rich. They end up having all of their possessions and assets frozen and, and taken by the IRS due to tax issues. And so they move to a small town um, called Shits Creek. And so there it's it's just kind of funny and awkward. And it's written by uh, Eugene Levy and his son Dan are the, are the two writers. And um, if you again, Eugene, anybody that's like our age bracket and older, if you don't love Eugene Levy. Then what are you doing with your life? He's hilarious. <laughs> uh, so that's where we're at right now in the in the streaming game. I'll go back just a little bit. I still remember watching uh, the Good Place with my wife and when William Jackson Harper plays Chidi and Agonia, who is wonderful and adorable. If you haven't watched the show, he's just like the sweetest character yeah. of all time. But the, the moment when he he uh, takes his shirt off uh, <laughs> and shows that he also has like a twenty four pack, and my wife just gasped, and I was like, he's he's not real. He's a character. That's CGI. Uh, but anyways. Um, <laughs> Uh, that's an interesting one. I think I saw the promos when you said that. That finally clicked what that was. Um, Shit's Creek is a show I've never, I have never started. I, my wife tried it, I think, once or twice, and both times didn't get into it. But I, I said at some point, it's it's one of those comedies people love. Uh, so we'll give it a try together. And I've never, I've seen clips, but I've never, never tried it. I want to interject. It, it has, and this is something, if you've listened to my other podcast, my now defunct Two Woke Nerds podcast, it has the sitcom problem where it takes like a season to a season and a half to really settle into the characters. Mm. And so that like, mo- think of your favorite sitcom, your favorite season is probably like two, three, or four, mm-hmm. right? If it got multiple, because they finally figured out how to like live in the yeah. characters. And yeah. that's, that's the problem with the show is they're still trying to figure it out. Anywho, back to you, Kyle. Yeah, and 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 the you know, Parks and Rec is is famously you know gets that moniker for people who didn't like it. I just said you must not have watched past the first season. But actually, my wife adores season one of Parks and Rec. That's her favorite show. But anyways, the, she's this the is, person. 
<laughs> That's it is. It's her. Uh, I did watch some some other shows, and I'll start with the comedy that that we watched, and we actually finished up. Um, this was the final season, I think the sixth season, if that's right, um, of Search Party, which is on HBO. It's a show that ultimately I think started its first two seasons on TNT, then was uh, going to be canceled. HBO gobbled it up and and did. Well, I think it's four more seasons uh, there. It's a good show. I, I think I talked about it on here before. I can't recall. Um, just basically kind of a skewing and satiring uh, millennials, specifically like New York millennials, um, and maybe even it. maybe even the, the older end of, of Gen Z, um, but just kind of 20 and 30-somethings uh, who are a bit adrift and a bit uh, self-centered, and um, which in that sense certainly uh, is Gen Z, but um, or, or just kind of self-focused in social media and all that. Anyways, um, it's it's uh, the the plot. The first season, it's about a missing person, hence the search party. Um, they tie that theme in through through most of them. Um, the the last season uh, gets weird in a good way, um, <laughs> and it's like it's it's a they've done a couple of these, of course, but a um, I won't spoil too much, but say it by the end turns into a comedic zombie show. Um, and uh, it, I don't know. It's good. I just find it funny. This was, it wasn't my favorite season out of the whole show, but it was a good ending. It wrapped up, kind of, you know, tied it up, had some callbacks, like all the good things a final season uh, does. It was pretty good. It's a good, you know, good show. I don't know if it's my first rewatch on my all-time comedy pantheon, but uh, at some point I might might come back to it. But it was good to, to finish it out uh, strong. And then a movie I had just missed, and my wife had said multiple times, like, how have you not seen this? This feels so, so much like you, um, is Midnight in Paris. I, I'm, I do like Woody Allen. Um, I do have a, uh, a fascination with the lost generation of, of you know, Americans spent in Paris and am a, a just a a fan of literature and 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 kind of fanboy over writers and um, so Midnight in Paris is Woody Allen's take on basically a, a, a struggle well not struggling a, a writer who's trying to change career from a, a Hollywood writer to a uh, a novelist like a proper novelist and is obsessed with kind of the the, the, the great generation of Gertrude Stein and Ernest Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald, etc. Uh, and, you know, without giving too much away, finds this surrealistic uh, time warp basically at midnight while he's in Paris where he stumbles into the roaring 20s Paris and, and he's interacting basically. And there's a complicated kind of multi-layered, multi-time period uh, love story uh, there as well, um, but it's just kind of about self discovery and and uh, anyways, it's it's a cute. It's not like a changed my world from seeing it. It's 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 uh, clever. It's cute. It's Woody Allen, um, and and it's 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 some of the better late stage Allen. I think he obviously has really uh, incredible seminal and like important work of of the early part of his career. You know, the the late stage can be can be great, can be average, it can be bad. You know, and, and this I think is probably in the in the end that that I would call good. It's also one of Owen Wilson's most charming roles, so uh, definitely would recommend if you like me had never seen it for whatever reason or I uh, haven't seen it in a while. It, it it holds up well, and it's it's a fun little time machine piece. The reason is because Kyle is a heathen. I'm just joking. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> so that brings us to. The part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? I'm going to start by banging – well, I'm going to talk about Texas football. I'm going to start by banging the drum on Gary Patterson's knees. I'm impressed that he was able to pose with recruits in a kind of a squatted hook'em form. <laughs> and stand back up. You know, I, I know as I get older, it is it is not the easiest thing to do that. But, no, uh, football has had some big recruits, including – 
former TCU defensive end O'Shawn Mathis recently on campus, which I imagine he has a pretty good relationship with new Texas assistant to the uh, regional manager, um, Gary Patterson. And, uh, you know, so it, it's good. But the guys we do have on campus were released in the uh, the new 2022 spring roster. And I know this is always an interesting time on Twitter when it comes out. People are, you know, going through the screenshots and, man, Quinn Ewers. Oh, boy. <laughs> if you imagine that's what the savior of Texas football looked like, uh, like, you know, a few if he years ago. showed up at your house and he didn't know who he was. You'd assume some things. I, I, I just love, I mean, he looks like every like 4-H guy I went to high school with in like <laughs> whitewash wranglers, a mullet, uh, like a really embarrassing mus- thin mustache. But man, the kid can throw a football. So, you know, you do you, Quinn. Love the guy. Um, but man, just, just he's he's leaning in. I love it. He's not your pretty boy quarterback. Uh, and, and that's okay. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, all the pictures are great. The number changes are always interesting. We have uh, he, Tavian Sanders moved to number zero because Quinn Ewers is taking the number three, presumably on the offensive side, um, where it sounds like Tavian Sanders will be playing uh, some more time listed at tight end, um, but is now wearing number zero, uh, eight pounds lighter at 248 pounds, but that's a big number zero. Um, I just like our number zeros on campus right now with Timmy Allen, uh, him to Marvian Overshone. Uh, but so uh, there was a, a trend of a lot of numbers shrinking this year, and I'll start at the top end. Uh, and sorry, I should say uh, not numbers. Uh, wait, there was probably people who went down to single-digit numbers as well, but weight shrinking. Uh, starting at the top end, Keandre Coburn down to a svelte 340, uh, down 6 pounds, I believe. Um, Ojimo down 10 pounds. Alfred Collins down 9 pounds. Um, it, Tavondre Sweat is is out here soaking it up. He's up 8 pounds, uh, bucking the trend. Myron Warren down 10 pounds. Um, you saw uh, you know, a lot of those defensive linemen and, and offensive linemen down a bit. Jalen Garth, I think, was 15 pounds uh, down around the 294 uh, mark. So you saw some guys get to I think rather than everyone is down I think they have by position a playing weight with some guys going up some guys coming down to get to kind of the body type that they want um an interesting one was was Hookfin is down from 299 to 263 but again he uh was in a motorcycle accident in early December if you remember that where he had broken ribs collarbone really lacerated spleen a really tough injury tough stuff so that one may be a little less just pure football conditioning um but that one was the one that I think jumped out the page and then player no longer listed on the roster when we're talking about those offensive linemen Tyler Johnson, um, former can't miss kid, uh, teammate of Joseph Osai. Uh, you feel like if he ended up, and this could be said about a couple players, but specifically Tyler Johnson ended up being what we all thought he was as a recruit that Texas probably wins two more games this past year, you know, just because the, the tackle position was tough and he was seen as a first round draft pick type of tackle, like without a doubt was a surefire five star. So it just goes to show uh, recruiting five stars, whatever doesn't fix everything. If you don't have the development and offensive line is the hardest to develop, but we're hoping that that trend is buck. Cause we saw a lot of big ones, a lot of big young freshman players listed on here who are coming in and just reminded you, uh, the big boys, the beef, uh, Sark stocked up, and uh, it gets me excited, man. There's real football. We're in spring practice in 13 days. We're getting close to the good stuff. 
it'll be fun. I'm working on some spring previews now, and it'll be my uh, special team preview is going to be my pride and joy probably from this one. That's neither here nor there. So I'm making <laughs> through up this week on something a little different. So if you're not following, um, and th- it feels weird to say this on this podcast, if you're not following what's going on with the battalion over at Texas A&M, you should be. Um, so the battalion is their uh, student newspaper. They've been they've been in publication since the 1800s, which um, is again Aggies. They have their traditions. This is a cool one. So student newspaper been published since 1890 something, I think, right? But uh, it came out a few weeks ago that the Texas A&M administration was basically saying, like, either you come underneath the school of journalism and we kind of control your programming, or we're going to cut your funding, for lack of a better term, or your your space on campus is no longer available to you. Uh, And so they rightfully got backlash from like national media and like national watchdogs and First Amendment organizations, which absolutely, I mean, it's, it's, we can talk a lot about the value of student journalism. Kyle and I both student journalists at the University of Texas and the reason why he and I are doing this and we're able to do what, um, what we're doing today. But then the battalion with just an absolute baller move, uh, Monday, the time of recording released that they have discovered documents that there is a special interest group that is basically trying to monetarily money whip the university into making their policy closer to what they think it should be. And part of that included the changes at the battalion. And so, um, I just, I absolutely am in awe of these young journalists having the integrity and backbone and gumption to just stand in the face of old money. And you know what? It's probably a losing battle, but doing what, what actual journalism should be. And that's shining a flashlight in the dark corners of what's going on. Like I am just so absolutely impressed. Um, the kids are all right. I, I am a big believer that, um, there, there, there are some world changers in this next generation. I, I was a youth pastor for a long time or I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have done that if I didn't believe that. But, um, it's just absolutely impressive to see what these, these young journalists are doing. And I will say, I've said it before and I will say it again, like support student journalism, support student journalism. If you, if you're not okay with the state of the world, like it's, it like student journalism and these young kids are, are really doing the good work and fighting the good fight. And, and, um, as a, as a Texas grad, as a Texas student media, uh, grad and alum, like I'm just absolutely impressed with what these, these young kids are doing over there. Yeah, and I'm sure all of you watched TSTV when Gerald was the sports director and crushed the programming there. Make sure you support TSTV. I was on the Texas Student Media Board of Directors. This is important to both Gerald and I very, very closely. The Texan, the, you know, there are new media since we were there, in fact, which which I love. It's evolving and it's student journalists are journalists and they should be supported and, and we don't take a lot of time to, to, to Bravo uh, Aggies, but this is absolutely Gerald is correct. A case where stand up clap. And if you get a chance, figure out a way to support uh, these young students um, over at the bat. This is bigger than a, than a UT A&M rivalry. This is about, you know, uh, one of the two biggest institutions in the state of Texas um, trying to do certain measures, including controlling the voice of the, the student, journalism um and and you know people who are relatively or completely i should say objective in the national media who have who have been looking at 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 this exact story have described that group that is exerting that amount of control uh, or attempting to over a&m policy as white supremacists so i mean this is important stuff um so you know in the battle of of students who are 
you know, learning on the job and doing, you know, cool stuff and will go on to do even cooler stuff versus uh, old white supremacists. I, I think you know who I'm cheering for. Uh, so, so cheers to the bat. And that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them, baby. Hook them, baby.